Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I serve on the staff here at Christ Church, and I am the host of this podcast. Ladies, it is so great to be with you all today. I love being here in the studio. This is one of the highlights of my week, just getting to spend a few minutes in God's Word and with all of you lovelies out there. So as always, thanks so much for spending some time with us. I also just wanted to say it's been so great to hear from some of you over the last couple of weeks. You know how much I love to hear from you. Uh, I wanted to share, I got an email from my college roommate, Jill, who I haven't talked to in probably more than a decade, who let me know she is listening from Virginia. And God is doing some really cool stuff in her life that it's intersected with Deeper Still. And so I just love to hear that. So Jill, if you're listening today, it was so great to hear from you. I can't wait to reconnect. Um, And then I have to give a huge shout out to my friend, Kathy, who tagged Deeper Still in a recent Facebook post as one of her favorite podcasts. One of her friends asked her, what are you listening to? And she put it right there on Facebook. And so, Kathy, I just want to say thank you for doing that. Kathy is a runner with Team World Vision, and she is doing some amazing things. And so it's just cool to see the way that God's kingdom is on the move. And I'm so excited to just be a tiny little part of that here at Deeper Still. Uh, I also just want to remind you, uh, be sure to listen to Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen on the Christchurch website, Christchurch.us. We finally got a little link on the homepage under the media tab. So we're right on the homepage. Thanks to my colleague, Cindy, for making that happen. And don't forget to follow us at Christchurch Women on Facebook and Instagram and let us know that you're listening. Well, uh, for those of you who are regular listeners, and maybe you've been following along with the book of James, um, we are going to interrupt our regularly scheduled program today, as sometimes we do, to have a really focused and special conversation with a very special guest uh, as we lead into Holy Week and Easter Sunday that I hope is really going to prepare your hearts for that uh, special time in our faith journey. So today, I am just so excited to welcome a new voice to the studio to help us do exactly that, um, Dr. Bill Scheel. Bill is the president of Northern Seminary in Lyle, Illinois, where he also serves as professor of pastoral theology and preaching. He has served as a senior pastor in several churches across the United States for actually several decades. He has his Master's of Divinity and his PhD in New Testament from Baylor University in Texas. I know I have some Baylor fans out there, and he is the author of five books, including his most recent, which is on the book of Acts, called Preaching the Word. Uh, some of you may um, recognize his voice or even his face because he's been a guest preacher in our pulpit here at Christchurch, and he also volunteers his time just as another parent, as a mentor in our youth ministry. Uh, he is a husband to Kelly, father to Parker and Drake, and really just an all-around super nice and really incredible guy that I love being around. So friends, I am so excited for this conversation today on Mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 9 as we talk about some very poignant and beautiful words, especially for us as women today. Um, She did what she could. I want you to hear that because I know there are some of you that need to hear that today. So saddle up, settle in, grab a Bible if you can and open it to Mark chapter 14 and listen in as Bill and I go deeper still. Well, Bill, welcome to our uh, studio here at Deeper Still. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you, Sue Ann. What a joy to spend a few moments with you and your audience, and what a pleasure just to get a chance to reflect on Scripture with you. Thank you for the honor of being here. Uh, thank you for saying yes. I, you know, it's funny how you throw out these invitations sometimes, and you never know what people are going to say. And you uh, you gobbled it up right away. You got back to me and said, I would love to be part of this. So yep. I was just so excited and honored. Well, I just kind of feel like I'm, I'm, I'm part of the home team here and uh, a recipient and beneficiary of your ministry uh, to so many women and families here at Christ Church. And then also um, just the, the opportunity to reflect on the Gospel of Mark, uh, one of my favorite books. So uh, you just that's just like saying, hey, would you like a piece of chocolate cake to eat today? That sounds great. <laughs> so, Bill, I forgot that I knew something about you that I just reread in preparation for our time today. Is it true that at one point, or maybe even now, that you actually memorized the entire Gospel of Mark? Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> is that a true thing? <laughs> that is, that's a thing, yeah. Um, I've forgotten chunks of it, but uh, I'm going to yes. quiz you today, so you oh, just wait. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Great. No, it's a it's a very um, uh, you know in a lot of ways we we think that Mark was delivered orally, uh, maybe not performed as a drama, but certainly read aloud by a lector. In fact, you get in Mark thirteen a little a sidebar: "Let the reader understand," which is actually a comment to the person reading mm. aloud. So Mark is is short enough to be performed in in an hour and a half to two hours, and mm. it's it's incredible. It's really just a proclamation of the gospel itself, and it's a it was. A, I did it actually for Holy Week several years ago, so life-changing, transform, transformative experience for sure. Yeah, we're going to have to find a video of that somewhere and post it. I'll call Kelly. It's somewhere say, out there <laughs> I'm gonna on call the internet. Kelly. That's right. <laughs> Everything's somewhere out there on the internet. You know we can find it. Hey, you know, I have to confess to you, one of the things that I was thinking about in time for uh, preparation for our time together, so I always get a little nervous before I do any podcast. But then I was I was starting to, like I said, as I was gathering some biographical information on you and going, oh my goodness, I reached out to you because I know you as a friend. I know uh, I love when you preach. I know you as the president of Northern. I know you've been a pastor. But then I thought, okay, what have I done <laughs> by inviting you here? And here's what I have to tell you. So you know what helped me? I thought, okay, this guy's written five books. He has his PhD. It's okay. It's okay. You and I were at a Christmas party for student ministry. I think it was pre-COVID, so maybe it was two years ago. And we were having a very kind of intense conversation about women in ministry, which is going to come up. I'm going to bring it up at some point. I'm going to find a way to weave it into this conversation. And uh, it was this beautiful conversation. And as I was getting nervous about today, I was reminded that um, you were dressed as an elf, I believe. <laughs> for the Christmas party during that conversation. And I thought, you know, if I get nervous at all about you being here, I'm just going to picture the Bill Shield I know that was dressed as the elf at the Christmas party. And, and I would like to say, uh, for the record, that my wife was dressed uh, as, a, she was. as an elf as well. <laughs> so we were elf and Mrs. Elf. <laughs> Which I love. That's why I, I, I just appreciate you guys so much because you're all in. You're so authentic and you're so real. And so I know this conversation today is going to reflect that as well. Love it. Um, so, Bill, as I said, when I reached out to you and asked if you would join us today and I said, hey, I want to do something for Holy Week. Um, and I said, you know, if you have an idea, let me know. If not, I'll come up with something. And you shot right away. You came back with this Mark chapter 14 passage. And I we're going to get into the details and the context and the layers. But I'm just wondering, what was it that you immediately responded and said, here's what I think we need to talk about? Well, I think about this particular passage and the woman who is featured in the passage as a, a representative of some of my reflections throughout the pandemic of the burdens that women have carried from the very beginning. Mm. Like, um, I still remember one of the first phone calls that I made to um, one of the, a member at Christ Church, Rick Gleiman, had asked me to call some folks and check on them. And, and it, she was a woman who I never met. Um, and I just calling to, uh, on behalf of Christ Church, how are you doing? And she was crying and mm. she's, she was trying to visit um, her aging father and mother and her father was about to die mm. and she had no way of being with him at the hour of death. And that story has been repeated so many times throughout this pandemic. And this year, in particular has been a, a trying year for my own mom. You know, I just, I just came from seeing her at uh, the assisted living facility and to watch her story of faith and of all the years, you know, she is such a, an abundant giver would give you her right arm if she could. Um, and what she has had to go through as a human being um, through this pandemic of, of not only health challenges, but in isolation. And I thought, wow, during Holy Week, what what if we could talk about ex an example of faith mm -hmm. for all of us um, that has been there on the pages all along? Um, because I think of women in the pandemic who have really shown me the way of what it means to live by faith, bearing the burdens of their of their children, their parents, grandchildren, so much that Jesus takes with him all the way to the cross and through the tomb and into resurrection. Mm. 
That's a really beautiful picture. Just a really, um, what a poignant observation of just even our culture today and over the last year and of just those places that people have found themselves in. And it's going to be so relevant to our conversation today of feeling like, what can we do? We can't do anything, but there is something we can do. And this, this story is such a beautiful reflection of that. Um, I'm going to ask you to kind of uh, paint the picture of what is going on in the story. But what we like to do here at Deeper Still is actually read the scripture so that our listeners can really have a good handle on what we're talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and do that for us. And then I'm going to kick it over to you. Here we go. So this is Mark, uh, Mark uh, chapter 14, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the Passover and the festival and unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus, our beautiful Jesus. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and we are thankful for that Thanks today. So, Bill, uh, what is happening in this scene? Well, you know, the Gospel of Mark is is all about portraying Jesus as king, but just not the kind of king that any of his disciples or anyone really close to him ever expected, right? He is the king who is going to suffer and die and be resurrected. And so he spends, um, Mark spends 15 chapters revealing this kind of king to us because this is going to be our model of service and sacrifice. He is going to show us how to live extravagantly, sacrificially in our lives because this is the kind of king that we follow. You know, he says to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so, but then every time someone wants to proclaim, like, you are the Christ, he says, well, now don't tell anyone yet. This, you know, this happens so many times until the great reveal at the end. And the one person that says it is the centurion. This is the Christ. Surely he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Because they're finally able to see at the cross what the Christ, the King, the Messiah really does and really looks like, this ultimate suffering. So here in Mark 14, we begin to finally see this, this last stage of the journey for this great revelation of Christ's suffering. And of all things, it happens at one of Jesus' favorite venues, of course, a meal, right? Mm-hmm. And he is dining, as anyone would in um, in his day, in in the Greco-Roman world, in the Hellenistic Jewish world, they sort of shared the same hospitality patterns. Uh, but they are reclining on a, two days before the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover. So we sort of think in the chronology of Holy Week, this is like Wednesday night supper, okay? Mm-hmm. If maybe if you grew up with that kind of tradition, okay? <laughs> And in the, and, and he is actually dining. He's the guest at the home of Simon the leper of Bethany. So it's a beautiful scene. You know, you kind of imagine Jesus crossing the boundaries of the unclean. Um, this man perhaps had been healed. Uh, you, you get the sense that these are all insiders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are people who follow Jesus. They get, they think they get who he is, right? Um, these would be the, if we called them today, this would be the church going crowd. These people have not only shown up online during COVID, but <laughs> as soon as the doors were open, they were the first ones in the door bringing extra hand sanitizer, masked on, ready to go. I mean, Love you it. know, the, this, this is the inner circle. And so Jesus would be dining. In his case, the tradition would be the men would be on what would be like couches mm-hmm. around a very formal table where there would be, of course, food served and then wine, and then there would be some kind of entertainment, usually a teaching or a reading, maybe music, 
Um, that's the scene we can picture. So the only real women, quote, allowed in the room, it would be an open scene. We're not talking about, you know, a door locked, just the men on inside. But slave women would come in and out constantly to serve those who were at table. So there would be some coming and going, but it would largely be kind of a men's supper club. And women would come and go who would be the servants in the servant quarters. And that's the location, really, where Mark stages this powerful moment that's about to happen. Mm. So they're whining, and they're dining, and they're talking, and they're probably having a good time. Um, and then what happens next? So then, surprisingly, um, out of nowhere, comes a woman who is apparently a woman of incredible means because she has access to what people know of as an alabaster jar of perfume or ointment. Now, you could, the, the size of the jar would be no larger than a bottle of water today. Mm. You can actually go to the Art Institute and see alabaster jars uh, from the first century. It's, a, it's fascinating. You ought to do that. Awesome. So you could, she could have fit this in, in, say, the clothing that she was wearing. And one of the misconceptions about this particular woman is we sometimes associate her with a prostitute, but there's no indication that she is a woman of ill repute. Mm -hmm. She is she's a woman of means because she has access to uh, this jar, this this alabaster jar and the kind of expensive perfume that is there. And um, she comes in from out of the crowd. Now, you'll notice in Mark, Mark loves to hold up as examples women whose names we don't know, but whose actions carry the day and become models of obedience mm -hmm. for us. Um, the woman you'll recall with the issue of blood. You remember mm -hmm. her? Where she it's 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 in Mark 4, she squeezes through the crowd and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and Jesus turns around, like because he has felt power going out of her. The Syrophoenician woman, right? Uh, we don't know her name, but she's standing up for her for her child, right? Well, then there is this this woman here. There are many other of these kind of hidden figure-like characters. They're not minor characters. These are the leaders yeah. of obedience in Mark. Because the disciple, the, the 12, she's a disciple, obviously, but the inner circle, the 12, they're always confused, right? They don't get it. <laughs> what does this mean? They don't understand the parables, right? So the inside group, the ones who are always around Jesus, are completely foggy, right? But it's the ones who appear out of presumably nowhere, who are obviously, they've been watching the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. They've been waiting for their moment. And this is her moment. She mm -hmm. has been thinking about, how am I going to demonstrate to this man that he is my king? Mm -hmm. right. Because she has an insight into his work in the world that even his inner circle still has yet to get. Mm -hmm. Love that. And she comes into the banquet hall. Right? Yeah. Can I pause you for a minute? Because I have this image in my mind, and this is not scriptural. This is just me interacting with my imagination with this piece of the story. But I just, I picture her watching this scene unfold for wherever she is. And just, you know, sometimes we get that, like, uh, our palms start to sweat and our heart starts to race. And we're thinking there's this thing that we should do. And in our mind, we start, and sometimes it's, it's something we think God is really prompting us to do that we're compelled to do. And in our mind, we start worrying back and forth of, do I do it? Do I not do it? Am I going to embarrass myself? Do I not? Do I go? Do I go? Like, do I follow the promptings and stirrings in my heart, the nudging, the Holy Spirit that God is, is leading in me? Or do I stand back from the crowd? And that's the image I have. Like I said, that's just me. But that's the image I have of her heart racing in this moment. Right, because as any any woman, even a woman of means, would know that she's she's breaking customs here. She's right. going to be noticed, right? Um, but that is part of what obedience is, mm -hmm. right? How do we get beyond ourselves to say that this man is worth everything mm. right mm. and isn't i mean isn't that what holy week is about that after all that we've gone through this year that this king is worth the sacrifice mm. of all of her other responsibilities she is willing to say well no matter what happens to me in this moment 
I am going to interrupt the party <laughs> in order to show him and myself so I can show my devotion to him and show him the honor that I've wanted to give to him. Mm. And, and, and she wa- you know, she comes inside to the inner room and uh, Mark tells us that she breaks the jar and she anoints his head. Now, now this in other scenes, uh, similar stories, you might notice she, there's a woman that wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. But what she is doing in this scene that Mark wants us to highlight is because he's been focused so much on portraying Jesus as a king, you would anoint the king from the head down, right? But this is an, a, an anointing in the sense not only of anointing him and, and locating him as the king of the world, but also demonstrating that this king is going to die. So this is a burial. This is a ritual washing that... Most Jewish people would be very familiar with in Jesus' day that the body needs to be anointed before burial. And she comes in and begins the process of embalmment. Hmm. I mean, he hasn't even had the Last Supper, Sue Ann, and he is already, his body is symbolically being prepared to give his life to show the inner circle what it's always been about. And she knows it, hmm. right? Hmm. It's so amazing to think that because then that moment becomes about Jesus. It becomes less about her. And I love you're using these words, you know, devotion. You used extravagant sacrifice, like these beautiful words where she had to, she had to kind of get over herself and also block out what was going on in the room and just focus on her devotion and love for this man that she knew. She knew what was coming, that she was, she was declaring him as her king. And I, I I have a couple of different thoughts going on, but tell us for a minute how just how bold and courageous would that have been for her to walk across that room in that setting as a woman and do what she did? Well, that you can you know how courageous it would be. Just simply, how many times do you get the scenes in the Gospel of Mark when the disciples are pushing away people that they don't want to be associated with? Right, with blind Bartimaeus, they try to tell him to be quiet. Right. Uh, when little children come to Jesus, they try to push them away. So the bravery and the courage in Passover week, right? Mm-hmm. This is a busy time. Mm-hmm. I mean, these folks are around Jesus because remember, they think he's well connected. Mm-hmm. They think somehow he is going to start an insurrection, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, they thought that people were going to riot. That's right. He's come into Jerusalem. The crowds have thrown their cloaks at his feet. They've yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name. They're expecting a military conquest, <laughs> right? So if they think he's the military leader, and then here comes this person, maybe the risk, right, is she's attempting to assassinate him, attempting to get rid of him, whatever it is. All of those emotions mm-hmm. have to be stirring in her. And then... The other major point that Mark wants to make is she is sacrificing. She's got to get over not only herself and the crowd, but she is actually giving up something very valuable that my guess is she used either in her in her trade, maybe she would normally sell in the marketplace, um, whatever, you know, obviously this is a burial perfume, very fancy, myrrh, ointment, something like that. So she is giving up something to do mm. to do this for Jesus. Yeah. And I, I've read about the alabaster jar that, you know, you had to break the neck of the bottle in order to pour it out. So normally, like you said, they would anoint your guests would come in and as a, as an act of hospitality, um, because <laughs> as I was reminded recently, they smelled right. So I was listening to one sermon that said, you know, you wouldn't today hand someone a stick of deodorant when they come in your house because they smelled that would be rude. But <laughs> today, or then you would anoint them with a little bit of fragrant oil. It was a custom, but she takes this alabaster jar. She didn't just take a couple dabs on his head. She had to break the whole thing open. So the whole bottle would have to be used, not just a little fraction of it. Right. I mean, she she's willing to make a mess for Jesus. I mean, yeah. th- let's just kind of <laughs> get that. the picture. And because this happens in, in the sight of the well-connected, the, the, the inner circle, the people that are following Jesus because they're hoping for change, Mark heightens the tension in their reaction, right? Mm, yeah. Right? You, you yeah. see it just from their own reaction. I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, 
it's the members of the finance committee, right? <laughs> they're, they're like, what? We mm-hmm. could have drilled a lot of wells of clean water here <laughs> with what this cost, right? We could have used, I mean, we're getting close to Passover. We could have used this for all the poor that we're going to meet in this when we begin to carry on and begin our empire, right? Mm-hmm. This could have been very valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and suddenly in, the, in not only talking to themselves, but that you begin to get the remarkable contrast between what Jesus is about mm-hmm. and what this woman is about versus what everyone else expected him to be about. Yes. And talk about then this scene that the men all react one way that you just said, but Jesus acts, a, he reacts completely opposite than how the rest of the insiders do. Yeah. What happens? Well, so um, the, the muttering begins to, t- to start. Obviously, she's interrupted their party. Um, they begin to calculate the cost of this. There's sort of this mental um, gymnastics that are going on. And and my and I think one of the things Mark is trying to do is they think in their minds that they are complimenting Jesus. Well, we if we would have never done anything like that, and Jesus turns it right back on them as he's so good at doing mm-hmm. is instead of of pushing her aside, she actually he actually lifts her up as a model and as as an example um, to everyone else. And, and becomes a gospel witness. Mm. You know, he is going to use her as um, not only what what she does is is a powerful event in and of itself, but suddenly she becomes the illustration to every sermon about the gospel. He chastises the men in the room. Leave her alone, right? Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. So he calls this remarkable, extravagant act beautiful. And then, which is a a line that sometimes we can misinterpret, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. He's not diminishing the importance of giving to the poor. What he wants to say here is our generosity to the poor is only in and through what is happening in my life. Mm. We give and we share because of what's about to happen to me, and she knows what's about to happen to me. And that's when the the, the statement that that is is so redemptive for all mm. of us, and especially women in this season, he says to her in in uh, to them within earshot of her, of course, she did Mm. what she could. Mm. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Yeah. Well, and I love that. So those words are so powerful. And I love that you say, you know, we see Jesus do this. I'm I'm, I'm reflective of John chapter eight, when Jesus stands in the gap for a totally different situation, but he stands in the gap for the woman who was caught in adultery. And he stands between her and the crowd and he defends her. And it's just this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And, and when he looks at her and he says, you know, or looks at the other people and says, she did what she could, like back off, leave her alone. Um, it comes out of this place of her knowing who she is before him, trusting him, being led to him, and having that intimate moment, even in the in the midst of the crowd, and for him to be able to look at her and say, and look at them and say, she did what she could. You know, she wasn't trying to do what everyone else was doing. She wasn't trying to um, be someone she wasn't. She was sacrificing in the moment, but she was doing it in, with what she had, with who she knew Jesus to be and who she was in relationship to him. It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I, I love how you set the scene for us. You you can almost imagine Jesus getting up off the recliner, mm. right? Off the couch and and physically putting himself between the woman and them. I, I really appreciate that image. Um and and then it's it's that line she did what she could mm. if we're not careful you know you can you can say that in a lot of different ways well she did what she could mm. you know almost as a as a throwaway statement well this was this was the least she could do which how many how many women who have who are already known for forgiving and extravagantly pouring themselves out on their families and taking care of everyone we almost overlook and come to expect, oh, yeah, 
that, that she she's just doing what she can do. You know, that this is her thing. But Jesus, I think it can also be read and heard this way. She did, mm. right? What she could almost um, the Greek word for could is is also can also be uh, rendered. She did what she had to do mm. for herself, mm. right? This is her offering that she had to give before he died. Mm. If you know, almost that that last gift of a woman before her loved one dies and she's got something on her heart that she has to say to her dying loved one in the nursing home and whatever it is, I've got to do this for me, Mm -hmm. right? I've got to get this off my chest. Mm -hmm. And she is so devoted to Jesus that this is her act. In fact, the word she did is, is, is in a, in a very special way, a performance. It, it is spiritual theater, not theatrical, um, not for show. But it is her public liturgy, her worship to Jesus is coming and bowing and anointing and and dedicating her life as a public gesture and demonstration, Mm -hmm. much in the same way that we do before a funeral. We have certain gestures that we we have and rituals at weddings. People walk the aisle. Well, in the same way, this is her public devotion, performing to Jesus uh, what no one else seemed to be able to do. And then to become a living testimony, this this very act as a testimony of gospel preaching. Mm-hmm. So more or less, he says that, that she's preaching in this gesture without saying a word, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't say anything other than through her actions and through her lives, she preaches yeah. the gospel. Yeah. Well, and when we, we fast forward to today and we look at, you know, I love that we're having this conversation on Holy Week and as we, we lead to Good Friday and to the cross and, you know, he has risen of Sunday, of Easter morning because it's a great question to ask ourselves, right? She didn't do everything. She didn't try to be everything. She did what she could. And I, you're just making me start to reflect on during Holy Week. What can, what is the posture that I need to take, um, before, before my savior, my king, that is sacrificial, that is extravagant, that is loving, that is within the realm of what I can do. And I, I gotta tell you a story. Um, so I was yesterday, I asked my friend if I could share this story. So I, uh, had lunch yesterday with a good friend of mine. Her name is Rebecca. And, um, she lost her son, uh, a 19-year-old son, pretty tragically, in an accident uh, a little over a year ago. And I, I sat with her and her husband, Andy, yesterday and had lunch in this little um, house, if you will, building that they uh, have decided to move forward in their grief. And there she did what she could um, to create a place where uh, other bereaved parents can come. And they named it after their son. It's called Ian's Place. She told me I could share this. And and we sat there, and I just sat in this room. It's still under construction, and it's going to be beautiful. And, and, and you know, it's going to be this place where parents, this, this incredible special grief that parents have who lose children, a safe place where they can come, and they can mourn, and they can receive counseling, and they can grieve, and they can be with other people who have gone through similar things. And I I said to my friend Rebecca, I said, you know, you can't do everything. You can't reach every parent. You can't reach everybody who's grieving. But this is the moment. This is her. She did what she could. And I called her on my way here today to say, can I share this story? Because as I was reflecting on it, I just started to cry. And I said, this is her extravagant sacrifice before her king, both of them to say, we're doing what we can because we believe in the hope that is yet to come. Wow, that that is an amazing example. And for her to receive the grace and strength from Jesus to have the courage to say in just such a brief, a short time Mm -hmm. in her grief to Mm -hmm. say, here is what that grief is going to fuel, Mm -hmm. right? I am going to choose resurrection hope in the midst of other, you know, other right choices. I mean, that that's one amazing choice that not everyone could make, but Mm -hmm. for her to say, I'm going to take this grief 
and and create a space for others to find and and be and I love the word when life has dismembered us we can truly remember be mm. remembered mm. by Jesus in our grief mm. when we've been torn apart from I can't imagine losing a son like that yeah but, um and and that's an example of what's happening here. Yeah. Well, to your point, it is a living testimony mm-hmm. of their faith in Jesus. Yes. That they are doing this just like the woman in the right. story did. Right. And and part of my reflection, like you on this passage, is um, I know that because so many women ha- have taken on the responsibilities doubly in the pandemic they've taken on extra jobs when there's been a job loss they've been out in the streets protesting for their neighbors and when their children have been victims of gun violence Mm -hmm. they have um, shown up in meetings they've organized zoom calls they've taken food to neighbors they've shoveled snow whatever it was going on in their lives they've tripled it because Mm -hmm. some of it out of fear some of it out of gifting some of it out of i've 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 just got to get get through the pandemic and and even then my, this is just my read okay i still sense that there is a lot of guilt that i could have done more mm-hmm. heidi stevens had a powerful article in the tribune this sunday about the amount of guilt that moms are facing over asynchronous learning mm-hmm. and not you know worried my child's going to fall behind, worried I haven't helped my child take enough responsibility, and all the myriad things are going on. And so part of this passage, I think, is a way for Jesus to say, you have done enough Mm -hmm. this year, okay, for everybody else, okay? So what do you need to do for you, right? I I don't know any mom, any any woman who sits around thinking, how can I take care of myself? That's not the question, right? But what Jesus invites us into the dining room here, right, no matter who's watching, is in Holy Week, what is it that you can do for you for Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Because what she does is really, in the best sense of of the word, a selfish act that is selfless for Jesus, and the way I, I would unpack that is she's doing this as her offering for Jesus. She needs to do this for herself before Jesus dies so that she can show the devotion that she wants to give. Again, like that, I've got to get this off my chest for him, for me. I know he's the king. The king doesn't need anything else. I want to do this because I can't wait to sacrifice for him. Yeah. And and my the the way I think... We, we lift this woman up as an example to us is to say, okay, you know, I've been taking care of everybody else this year, but what would it be like to, to do something extravagant for Jesus that it would be so extravagant that everyone else around me would be like, why in the world would she do that? But it's what I need to do. It's been, to go back to what you said earlier, it's, it's what's in my heart. It's what's been pushing and nudging and, and it's just so, and, and every time you feel it bubble up, you go, oh, no, 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 that's not what Jesus would really want me to do. But yes, that's the thing, because now is the moment when the world needs to see that mm. kind of abundant generosity. That's right. That's right. And, you know, that thing doesn't have to be extravagant, can mean different things for different people. Right. And so it doesn't mean you're going to go start a nonprofit or that right. you have this, uh, you know, amazing thing. It could mean you're going to call up a friend and go um, sit with them during a time where they need someone to sit with them. Or uh, it may mean that, um, you know, you have a special worship time during Holy Week with with the Lord and, and share some things with Him that you need to share that you just haven't been able to. There's been a barrier there. I don't know what the extravagant yeah. thing for each person is. It's an act of worship, right, right that this, this woman steps into 
Jesus beckons us to, especially during Holy Week. And it might disrupt some other people's plans. You know, the (laughs) Easter turkey might not be done the way it was before, or the, you know, you, someone else may have to take care of your responsibilities that you normally do for them. But remember, again, she falls in this example of, well, for one woman, what was extravagant is just touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Right. Right. Another woman, it was, Getting with Jesus um, and to to ask for crumbs from the table uh, for another. No, I didn't mention her earlier. Uh, the widow who mm. gives two mites at the temple, and Jesus points at her and says, "Now, now that's true faith, right?" Mm. So we. But I think one of the things that she gives us permission to do is to take the time to say, "All right, if I were really going to show devotion to my King mm. this week." What would really blow my mind? Wow. And that's the opportunity we have. Wow. Not not because we owe him, not because we're guilty. He's taken away all the guilt. Um, not because it makes us any better. It's because we can. Mm. And that's where the gospel is really preached, right? Mm. Um, she becomes the model the example, the preacher, the proclaimer, because, of course, she's preparing for Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, Mary uh, of Salome, Salome, you know, the other women who are going to accompany Jesus all the way to the cross. And to be honest with you, they're going to run away from the resurrection afraid, right? Mm -hmm. Because they got to go back to Galilee and there Jesus is going to meet them. So she is the role model that begins to move us forward all the way to resurrection. Wow. Wow. What a powerful picture and a powerful image of devotion and even turning that back and saying, what is that? What does that devotion look like in our own lives? What is the invitation that Jesus is calling us to, you know, in the midst of the crowd and in the midst of the noise to step into uh, heart pounding fists, you know, palms sweating and all. What is the invitation? I love that. Yeah. And could I just share with you a, an example of someone who, who did this for me, uh, really humbled me in, in a lot of ways. When I was a pastor, I had the, the privilege of, of meeting um, a woman who was 92 years old named Aline Batty. And she had moved to my town in West Texas, knowing that she needed to have caregivers nearby to take care of her. Um, she had lived a pretty hard life. Her son was a recovering drug abuser and alcoholic, and her nephew and her niece were really her only caretakers. And so when she moved to town, uh, she told me she wanted to join the church, but what she really wanted at 92 is to be baptized. And uh, she said to me, I'm probably the oldest woman that you will ever baptize. And I said, well, that's right. You have set the record, and she still is the oldest woman that I've ever baptized. So we developed a really close relationship. Uh, And then one day... Aline suffered a broken hip. Uh, She was placed in an assisted living center in rehab. And I really thought at 92, you know, sometimes a broken hip is a signal of a complete decline. But, and I went to visit her a few times uh, while she was in the assisted living center. And then one day I got a call from her niece and she was very worried about making it home uh, for the Christmas holidays. And she, and her niece called and said, um, Aline has a Christmas present that she wants to give you. Um, and she's afraid she's not going to get out of the nursing home in time to give it to you. So she wants to give it to you now. And, uh, so it was about three weeks before Christmas and I arrived at the facility and Aline was there sitting up in her bed and, um, and she looked better than ever. She had her makeup on. She was all fixed up, ready for the pastor to come by and see her. And she and her niece presented me with a gift. And when I opened it, it was one of the most hideous things I'd ever seen. <laughs> I kid you not, it was a framed portrait of a velvet. The, the frame was kind of inlaid, kind of fake gold. And the, and the backing was velvet, black velvet. And placed along the velvet was costume jewelry in the shape of a Christmas tree. And it was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen. I did not know what to do. I'd never seen anything like this before. And I and um, and then, thankfully, I was I had taken a deep breath. I'd kept a straight 
look on my face. I would just sort of waited a beat. And then I heard these words from her niece. You know, she's been working on this tree for you since before she broke her hip. And when she broke her hip, she was very worried she would not be able to finish this tree in time for Christmas. So in between sessions with the therapist, she has worked on this tree here in the nursing home for you. And I took a step back and I gulped and I received the tree. And she said to me, she looked me in the eye, she said, I'm getting out of here soon and I'm coming to your house. We would have an annual open house. And mm -hmm. she said, I'm going to come to your open house. Well, I thought there's no way she's going to make it to the open house. And I felt mortified and horrified. This jewelry had been passed down in her family for generations. And it was a tradition for them to give costume jewelry in the shape of a Christmas tree to one another. And for, and I didn't realize this, but the ministry we had together had been so special and connected to her at this particular point in her life. This was her way of saying thank you. And I was dumb enough to miss it. I was like, you know, the, the disciples in the room, like, you know, what is going on here? And then suddenly I gulped and I realized, and I brought it home and I shared it with Kelly and we had a laugh. And I said, honey, we, none of this matches anything. But I have this feeling that Aline is going to get out of the nursing home in time so that she can see her tree. And I kid you not, we found a place on the wall in our home in, in San Angelo. And five minutes into the open house, <gasps> ding dong. No. And guess who comes no. walking in? I mean, if you can picture it, on her walk. <laughs> and she turned to the left and she saw her tree lit up and it was one of the most powerful moments i i have had as a pastor because aline did what she wanted to do right this was her way of saying merry christmas mm -hmm. and i've thought about her and i always think about her when i get to this text because there is something inside everyone, and no matter what everyone else thinks, even the recipient. Well, thankfully, Jesus was a better recipient than I was here. <laughs> but there is something inside every one of us that says, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be my act of devotion. And I still tell Aline's story in memory of her because I think she preached the gospel to me that mm -hmm. day. What an amazing story to reflect this text and to also demonstrate the way she um, did what she could and she blessed you. You know, the fact that the woman in this story blessed Jesus, you know, we don't often think about that. She ministered to her king. I mean, that's a, that's a profound thought. And when we follow those promptings, when we do what we can, it's not just about our act of devotion. It's how we bless someone else, how you still tell this story in memory of her as a reflection. It's not just between you and her now. It's as a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. <laughs> you said it better than I could. I, that, that's exactly right. And, and so, I mean, the people whose names we never remember, may never remember, or others may not know, we can look back in our lives and say, all right, mm -hmm. someone did this for us. Mm-hmm. And we might not have known how to say thank you, but it ministered to us. And I think Holy Week is our time to do this for Jesus. Mm. In our own sacrificial way, whatever that means, because we love him, mm. right? And mm. we know what he's about. Yeah. Yeah. And he looks down at us and not only does he say she did what she could, he did what he could. You are enough. You, you as my beloved Amen. child, yeah. you don't have to do anything <laughs> and you are enough because of what I did for you. Yeah. Not because of what we've done, but because of what, he, what he's done. And that's what, that's what Holy Week and that's what, that's what the cross is all about. You know, he did for us what we can't do for ourselves. Yeah, we we come to him as the old hymn says, "Just as I am." Mm. But thank God he doesn't leave us there, right? Amen. But he does ask us to come, just us, right? Mm -hmm. Just bring yourself, which is what she does. Do do your part, right?
and he's got the rest mm. all the way to the cross. And then on the third day, right? Wow. Mm. Great hope. Amen. Bill, that's the perfect word to leave us on. So thank you so much for just being here with us today, for sharing your expertise, your heart, your story, your life. I wish we had hours more to spend talking about this. You've moved my soul and just inspired me to spend some extra time looking at how Jesus may be calling me to extravagantly, sacrificially love him as uh, we're leading up to these next few days in Holy Week and to the cross. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I so appreciate you. Well, it's my pleasure and, and my prayer for you, Sue Ann, that, that, uh, that this message and this time together would continue to guide all of us as we, we do our parts that, mm. that the Lord has called us to do. So thanks for the, the honor of just spending a few moments with you and your audience. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Well, friends, what a powerful conversation as we are reminded once again who Jesus is, who we are as his children, and the fact that as we walk with him, as we journey with him, he always, he always calls us to go deeper still. I hope you got that from our conversation today, and I hope you will sit with some of those words that Bill shared and ask yourself what extravagant act of love or sacrifice May God be calling you to this week, especially as we begin our journey towards the cross. And then whatever he says to you, whatever he says to me, no matter how much our heart starts beating or our palms start sweating, let's do it. Let's trust that our King is good, that he looks at us with grace and with love. And he says, I'm proud of you. I am proud of you because you did what you could. And let's let that be enough. Hey, the last thing I want to share is if you need a place to worship during Holy Week and Easter, know you're always welcome at Christ Church. You can find our service times both online and in person at Christchurch.us. We um, also have a special Holy Week experience that will be on demand starting March 29th. I actually had the privilege of being the narrator for that, which means I'm not going to watch it, but I hope that you will. So I would invite you to check that out. I think it's a really powerful experience. Um, Then my friend Chris Stevenson and I will be back the week after Easter to wrap up the book of James. Um, And so I hope you will come back for that. But until then, just have a great week. Live as one who is loved by the King. Go do what you can and trust God to do the rest. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you back here again real soon. Mm -hmm.